So uh, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy New Year. Because we're, we're kind of late for one and a little early for the other, right? We're right in between here. And, uh, uh, but that's okay uh, because uh, I think we're right on time. And by the way, speaking of time, so I think it is like the coolest thing that Richie and Nadine... Now think about this for a second. It's the 29th. And they're celebrating their 29th. I mean, how often does that happen, right? So they're 29th on the 29th. I think that's pretty cool. And he has the day off, which he doesn't do very often. So uh, I, I always appreciate the, the privilege that it is uh, to be up here because um, it's both exciting and absolutely terrifying <laughs> all at the same time. So the year's about over. It's the 29th of December. And uh, by the way, how did you do with all the things that were on your list this year? I mean, a year ago, you were probably thinking about, I don't know if you're a resolution type of a person or just a goal type of a person. So you had this list of things that you were going to do. How'd you do? Not so good. Good. Everybody get everything done on your list that you were going to do for 2019? No, that's funny how that works. So, uh, so I guess the bathroom didn't get painted. Right. And uh, I, I know that one of you I heard was going to uh, all year you were planning on waxing your car. <laughs> but that didn't happen either. Yeah, I, I know how that I know how that goes. But, you know, the whole thing is you had a whole year. So, I mean, come on, you had a whole year to get this stuff done. So maybe you should rethink about making your resolutions for this year. You know, maybe tone it down a little. I don't know. But time is a marker, isn't it? Don't you kind of get that sense that time is a, is a marker? And it just flies, doesn't it? Does time fly by or what? And so as time is marching on, I was thinking about that this week. And this church, Richie mentioned it last week. You know, this, here's a marker for this church. In 2020, this church is going to be 10 years old. Not this church. You know, this church was built, this building was built in 1960. Uh, but what is the church? <laughs> See, it's just a building, but this church was built in, in, uh, in 1960. And, um, uh, and, and we planted a church uh, in 2010. Um, and it started in Cindy's living room. It went to the Wesleyan Church on a Saturday night. We decided that actually we needed to have a Sunday service, so we started having a Sunday service at the Wesleyan Church, and they moved their service time. Pastor Lynn is awesome. And to, to accommodate us. And then the next thing you know that we're here, and God has been just doing a work in this His little church in this Ojai Valley for, for 10 years. Amen? It's been pretty amazing. It's been, a, it's been an amazing ride, if you will, kind of hanging on to God's coattails as he's doing the work, right? He is doing the work. So as we're as we're thinking about 2019, for all intents and purposes, it's like over, right? You got a couple of days left. By the way, another question uh, It's 2019. It's the end of the year. Uh, I was thinking about this 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 week, too. Um, uh, Who started the Bible reading plan to read through the entire Bible a year ago at the beginning of 2019? Hands. Come on. Come on. Hands up. All right. All right. Keep that hand up for a second. Who finished it? Oh, it's a smaller group, isn't it? Yeah, see, I'm in that group, too. You know, I've started and and, uh, boy, it's challenging to finish, isn't it? It's challenging. It's just, you know, you just do it a little bit. I was thinking about it the other day. So, by the way, if you haven't done it and if you would like to read through the entire Bible in a year, you know, you could start now. You've got a couple of days left. It takes about 120 hours or so. I mean, if you're a slow reader like me, there's plenty of time. You got like a couple of days. I don't think so. Well, it's about time. How'd you take that? I could say it a couple of different ways, you know, hey, it's about time. Or I could say it's about time. Oh, it's the same words with a little different inflection, and you take it in an entirely different way when I say it that way, don't you? It's about time. It's about time. What's wrong with you people anyway? It's about time. 
See, because time is really interesting, isn't it? Have you thought about this much? Because some of you were on time today. And some of you weren't. And you know who you are. My guess is that every single one of you looked at a clock or a watch or your phone today at some point in time to find out what time it is. Huh? Did you? Yeah. See, I'm looking at a big digital clock back there right now. It has big red letters. Actually, they're numbers. Because if they were letters on a clock, that would be weird. So it, it says 1029 and that clock is back there for a very specific reason so that whoever is up here can go through a message and rightly divide the word of God and get done on time. And now, you know, of course, if you're a regular here, that that doesn't typically happen and it probably won't today either. But that's that's why we put it there. That's what it's for so that we can stay on time. So the question this morning that I would like to propose to you is where did time come from? And what is it? What is time? And why is there time? And then why are we so governed by it? Why are we so governed by time? I think they're all good questions. And the first part of that question is, where did time come from? And it's pretty simple. I've got a slide that's going to give you the answer to that question. Genesis 1.1 says, what? In the beginning, you see, God in his infinite wisdom creates time. Because it says in the beginning and beginning simply means the point in time that something starts. So you tell me that time isn't important to God for our benefit. God created time because the next three words after in the beginning. God created and then you can just add the word everything. God created time in the beginning. So I'm thinking about this probably because I have a lot of time on my hands because I didn't finish the Bible reading plan in 2019. And as I'm thinking about where time came from, I have this chronological Bible. And I'm reading the chronological Bible. And what is a chronological Bible? A Bible that is written in Kronos time, which is chronological, meaning as the events happen, it's laid out in chronological time. And so I go to the very beginning of the chronological time and it says in the beginning. Huh. So I guess time is important to God because in the beginning, God created time. Now, something in me is kind of stirred up to think that God is clearly indicating that he wants me to think about time and have it be important. So it really is about time. Now, we should all know that time to God is something entirely different than time to you and me, right? Now, most of us know that because and how do we know that? Well, there's two reasons. I think the first thing is is that I'm very confident that God is not wearing a wristwatch. I'm pretty confident that he didn't check the time this morning to see if he was going to be on time. See, because God is outside of time. See, our God is outside of both time and space. But we're not. I find that very interesting. Not only that. Not only that. But the genesis of time is Genesis. The genesis of time is Genesis. And the Bible speaks a lot about this from Genesis all the way to Revelation. There was a third century theologian by the name of Augustine of Hippo, which is kind of a weird name. Augustine of Hippo. That's like... Ernie of Ojai, because Augustine of Hippo, who was a third century theologian, I think it was a friend of Ernie's. <laughs> you were hanging out together, weren't you, Ernie? 
Jesus is a really interesting man because, you see, Augustine of Hippo, as a theologian in the third century, had a very colorful life before he came to a, a, a conversion. He came to Christ, you see. And and when he did, uh, he became a, a deep and profound thinker about things. And one of the things that in fact, he was a very primary influence on Martin Luther, um, who really what do we know about Martin Luther, about the Protestant um, um, Reformation. Uh, this guy really influenced him a lot. And this is what he said. Check this out. And he was speaking about time. This theologian, he said, the world was made not in time, but simultaneously with time. There was no time before the world. Biblically accurate. Biblically accurate. God created time in the beginning. Which is the point in time that something starts. See, because God had no start. God always has been. So I'll give you exactly one minute of time to wrap your head around that. It's impossible. Because I'm governed by time. Now, on the one hand, most of us can totally relate to time based on Psalm 90. Psalm 90.10 says this. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. And the closer I get to 70, the more I relate to that. Every old person in this room, you can define old. Every old person in this room can relate to the fact that Man, oh man, our days come to 70 or 80 if our strength endures. But on the other hand, you see, there's quite the juxtaposition that the psalmist uses because just a few verses before that in, in Psalm 94, he says this, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. So there's this really interesting juxtaposition of time, isn't there? God's time and our time, and yet he's the one that created time, and it came in Genesis, the beginning of time. So this morning we're going to take a look at this from a biblical point of view. A biblical worldview, I might add, which, by the way, I have to boldly tell you this this morning, a biblical worldview, a worldview in and of itself is nothing more than a framework for which you view reality. That's what a, that's what a worldview is. And a biblical worldview then is based on the reality that the Bible is the infallible word of God. See, one of the biggest problems in the church today is biblical illiteracy. So you must have a biblical worldview. But how can you if you're not in the Bible? So my challenge for you this morning is, is that you must get into the word of God in order to get the word of God in you. Amen. Church, you must get into the word of God if you are going to get the word of God into you. You must do that. See, for a Christian, a follower of Jesus, for sure, we get the physical implications of time. And I completely understand, and probably you do too, that my days are numbered. So you see, unless Jesus comes, none of us are getting out of here alive. Amen? I mean, that's the way it is. And it's been that way since the beginning of time. But there's a moral significance and a spiritual meaning to time as well. So we're going to look at these four components of time this morning. I don't know, maybe we'll be here till this afternoon. I'm watching the clock. There's four, at least four components of time in the Bible. Number one, time is a trust. Time is a test. Time is an investment. And time is an appointment because it's about time. So what do I mean by that? First, time is a trust. So think about it as a trust account. What are you doing with it? This trust account that you have. Now, you've got to be really careful with this because the world will tell you that time is money. Have you heard that one? Time is money. But that's not true. That's not true. Why? Because you can always make more money if you need to, but you can never make more time. 
But you can squander both. You can choose how to use both. But you can't make both. Time is given to each one of us equally. Money isn't. In Ephesians, in the ESV, it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Why? My words, not the Bible's. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I really like the amplified version of this. The amplified Bible adds to this translation some words to give it that depth of meaning. So, uh, Ivy, do you have that to put up on the screen? Okay. I love the amplified translation of Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Therefore, see that you walk carefully... Living life with honor, purpose, and courage, shunning those who tolerate and enable evil, not as the unwise, but as wise, sensible, intelligent, discerning people, making the very most of your time on earth, recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it for wisdom and diligence because the days are filled with evil. Amen? Therefore, do not be foolish and thoughtless, but understand and firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is. In the New King James translation, verse 15 adds a word that we're familiar with, I think, in church. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly. That's not the word I'm thinking about. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming. Now, that's a popular passage that I just read. And it's often used out of this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And I think the Apostle Paul knew a little something about redeeming the time because this was a man that was on the road to Damascus because what his intent was, was to take and arrest and therefore put to death you, people of the way, followers of Jesus. You see, that's what he was headed to do. And yet he had an encounter with Jesus on that road. And all of a sudden, not only was Paul redeemed, but his time was redeemed because he flipped. And everything he was about was the opposite of what he was on the road to Damascus to do. Amen. Now, that is an example of a redeemed time. But what about you? Do you redeem the time? Do you make the most of it? As Richie would say, row. Are you making the most of your time? Do you use it in a worthwhile fashion? Are you using your time wisely? Do you exchange your time? Do you redeem it for something of value? Because time is a trust. And if you think about it like this, let's say for just a second that you are a trust fund baby. Wouldn't that be nice? So somebody leaves you that trust fund. You ever met anybody that's a trust fund baby, never worked a day in their life, but had a boatload of money? Probably not good. Anyway, if you think about it, let's say that you had a trust fund and it had 60 million bucks in it. You might as well think big, right? So let's say that you had a trust fund with 60 million dollars of it. What would the purpose of it to be? To spend it. What else would the purpose be for having a 60 million dollar trust fund that somebody gave you? So right after, I mean, if that's one of you, Right after you wrote a check for $6 million to the church, because that's like the 10% tithe. And that's fine. If, you, if that's you, uh, it, the, it, the bag's already gone by this week. But uh, Tyler said that, you know, if end of year giving, that'd be a nice tax deduction. If you want to write that $6 million check, we'll take it. I mean, that's the biblical principle for giving anyway, isn't it? Yeah. And we would know that if we were in the word of God, wouldn't we? Anyway, to have a correct biblical worldview about this, the purpose of your trust account would to be a good steward of it and as you spend it. And so it is with time. See, time is the most valuable thing you can spend. It's way, way more valuable than money. So the Lord God gave each and every one of us a trust account. And it's specifically for today. And it has exactly 24 hours in it, 1140 minutes, 
and 86,400 seconds. And he expects you to use it all up. Amen? And my guess is most of you are going to use it. Because you see, unlike money, you can't save that time. And you can't make more of it. It's a trust that one day you will give an account for. And so will I. So how are you using it? And by the way, don't, over, don't overcomplicate this. There's at least one person in the room, and I don't like to mention names, but Jordan. <laughs> he's an analytic. He tends to like overanalyze these things. So, brother, this is for you. I love you, man. Even if you're not wearing socks. So, um, don't overcomplicate it. You don't need to. All you really have to do, church, is just decide what you're going to do with the time that was given to you today. Just decide. Because remember, in Ephesus, these people were a little bit confused and Paul wrote this letter to them and he pretty much summed it up by saying, live your life with purpose, be wise about it, and make the most of your time. It's not that complicated. He's not looking at me now. You see, because it's about time. And not only is it about time as a trust, it's also a test. Now, maybe, maybe you've never thought about it this way, so I'm going to challenge you on your thinking about this this morning. So uh, I, I want you to think about a test. How many of you just absolutely love to take tests? We have this total negative connotation that we put on testing, don't we? And yet... If I asked you, by the way, it's not a bad thing. You see, if you have a biblical worldview, testing is a good thing. It is not a bad thing because it always has a positive outcome. If you have the right attitude. You see, a test is an assessment of your readiness to fully put into practice whatever God has intended you to do with your time. Right? Ah. We hear James 1.22 from up here a lot which simply says we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Otherwise, we just deceive ourselves, right? So Christianity is about doing. You, you see, our following of Jesus is not a spectator sport. <laughs> we're supposed to do something, right? In time. We're supposed to do something in time. So time in and of itself is neither good nor bad, except as we make it out to be. So attitude becomes pretty important. But here are some of the moral and spiritual components of time. The moral aspect of time is all about what God has already both written on our hearts and established in his word. You see, godly biblical morals are objective because they come from him. Worldly morals are subjective because the world will tell you that morality is simply just being a good person. But that's not true. You see, God sets the moral law. And we either choose to accept or reject it. Worldly morals are relative. Because we tend to want to make them whatever fits our needs. I have a word for that in the Bible. It's called diatheke, the greater to the lesser. And you just got to decide where you fit. If you want to establish your own morality for time, then you're playing God with time. But God was the creator of it. We really don't have that option. You see, it comes back simply to what we do with time. So if I asked you this morning, has God ever tested you? How many yeses do I have in the room? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> There's a lot of sin happening in this room because you're all lying right now. <laughs> We've all been tested. Now, because of those of you that said you'd been tested by God, if you were really brave enough, you would probably tell us some story about how God in some event in your life was really challenging you, testing you, teaching you a lesson. You might even be so bold as to share how you had failed that test. Anyone? 
How many times you failed a test before you finally had that? Oh, I get it. I don't know about you, but in my life, God normally doesn't just tap me on the shoulder because I am a stubborn man. And he has this really, really big stick. And in my life, to get my attention, he rears back and whacks me upside the head. And that's how he gets my attention. But you see, once you actually get it, and you see the light that this test that you just went through, even though it might have been painful at the moment, at the end of the test, you see, is this great transformation that results from the test. Because once you've learned something that God has taught you, you tend not to want to go back there again, do you? Because you get it. You see, so why do you get so concerned about a test? We're always worried about a test, passing a test. When God says, no, the test is for your benefit and his glory. Embrace the test. But here's the challenging part. Because time is a test, and I'm talking every minute of it here. Both morally and spiritually, you and I, every minute of every day, are confronted with and tested by the choices we make. So think about it. Every day, all day, we get to decide exactly what we're going to do and how we're going to react to whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. Or for some of us, whatever stupid thing that we've done to create the circumstance for ourselves, right? So why is both moral and spiritual? Why is time both moral and spiritual? You might want to write this down. Because your Christian biblical worldview is based on the foundation of two absolute truths. One, God exists. Two, He has spoken to us in His Word. Amen? Your biblical worldview has to start there, church. If you don't start there, then your use and test of time will be based on total subjectivity, meaning what you want it to be, as opposed to what He intends for it to be. It's about becoming Christ-like, which is the will of God in every case, our Christ-likeness. Now, we know that time is both moral and spiritual because God is the giver of all things. Romans 2.15, speaking of unbelievers, says this, They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. I like that in the New Living Translation. Written on their hearts. What does that mean? See, the issue here is whether or not you acknowledge God in the moral and spiritual use of the time that he has given to you as a gift. It's not subjective. It is totally objective. God has spoken. It is written. Period. All people have been time stamped with God's moral and spiritual law. That's by his design. It's in the book. God spoke through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.28. And this is brutal. Paul is brutally honest. Actually, God is brutally honest about those who use their time without acknowledging him. Now, Paul is referring to all those who suppress the very gift, the gift of time. And the moral knowledge freely written on your heart and mine. And this is painful, but it's real. And so I want you to listen. Romans 1, starting in verse 28. We read this around the table. Thank you, Jordan. We're reading around the table this morning as we met before church to pray over what God wanted to speak today. And Romans 1.28 says this. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God... 
God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanders, haters of God's insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Wow. See, it's not always just pretty, is it? Talk about failing the test. And before we get all holier than thou about people like this, the reality is, and I don't think we hear this too much in the church today, and we should. You see, all sin is failing the test. Every bit of it. I, whether you're a believer or not, if you miss the mark, it is sin. That's what sin means. It's an archery term. And God has given us a bullseye in his moral and spiritual law that says, just hit the bullseye. Be Christ-like. Hit the bullseye. And as we pull it back and we shoot and we miss it, that's just sin. See, God has established this for us. But do you see the connection here in this, in this scripture in Romans one twenty eight, where there's a connection with time and it takes time to acknowledge God and we're to acknowledge Him in all things. Every single thing we do, as soon as we get up and we're breathing, we've been given the gift of time for today. You've got 24 hours, so acknowledge Him. First thing in everything. Because what happens if you don't? Believer or not, what happens if you don't comes to this list. There's 20 things on this list. Let me just read them. Unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, hatred, insolence, haughtiness, boastfulness, disobedience, foolishness, faithlessness, heartless, and ruthless. Even as a believer in our flesh, we're that far away from being any of those things. It's called sin. Now, clearly, Paul, in context here in this passage, is talking about God's wrath on unrighteousness. But the point for us this morning is what can happen in our own lives as a result of not acknowledging God either altogether or only doing it on our terms. You see, for believers and non-believers alike, frankly, there's no excuse, just a choice. That's a hard message to, to preach, and it's probably anybody, you're struggling with that hard message to receive? It's hard, isn't it? But to understand all of this, all you have to do is look at the basis for this list of these 20 sinful things that are pretty horrific, quite frankly, all based on unrighteousness. God calls us to be righteous. In fact, God sees us as fully righteous. We'll see that in a minute. But right after the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, the righteous shall live by faith, the Bible also says in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and unrighteousness of men by who, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. All of a sudden, I hope you see the importance of a biblical world view. Because if you don't have a biblical world view, by default, by default, you are suppressing the truth. Because Jesus said that I am the way and, and nobody comes to the Father but through me. Back to verse 19 in this Romans 1. It says that for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. See the beginning in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Nobody has excuse, especially us. 
ooh, that can be a little painful because sometimes I don't think right. Sometimes I don't act right. Sometimes I don't speak right. And sometimes I don't do right. But in verse 20, speaking about it, knowing and acknowledging God or choosing not to, it all relates to time. And the Bible just clearly states this truth, doesn't it? You see, church, there's just no excuse for ungodliness and unrighteousness on anybody's part because God has written it on our heart. How do you think any of you came to Christ in the first place? It started with because he had written something on your heart. There was something in you before you knew anything about the truth. That's my own personal testimony. I didn't know anything about anything. And yet there was something. I knew something was missing. See, he put it there. Because for such a time as I came to Christ and you came to Christ, that was the time. It's about time. Ungodliness and unrighteousness and suppression of truth is simply sin. It misses the mark, but Jesus paid the price for that. See, he paid the price for your sin and mine. Now, you can accept that truth and yet know that you will never be sinless. You will never be sinless. However, in the power of the Spirit, you can sin less. And how do you do that? Proverbs 3.6 gives us a simple answer. A scripture that most of you know. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. It's the same message that came from Romans. It's about acknowledging God. Acknowledging Him takes time and you have to be conscious of the time because it's a test. Now, you've got to remember also that as you're struggling through some of these things, you have, to, you have to understand the truth, you see, because you are God's masterpiece. See, that's a truth of Scripture too. So if you have a biblical worldview and you understand that God sees you fully righteous in the righteousness of Christ, you are His masterpiece. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So if you're here today and you're struggling with sin, and you are, maybe it's pride, or maybe, maybe you just got to be honest and choose from one that's on the 20 things on that list that I read, covetousness, malice, envy, or maybe for you it's strife or disobedience, whatever it is, you also got to know that you just received a great Christmas gift. See, Thank you, Jordan, because Jordan says, hey, Christmas isn't over. See, the gift of Christmas is every day. So Jesus, who right now is at the right hand of the Father in heaven as an advocate for you and me for when we miss the mark, you see. Because the devil would tell everybody that, ah, oh, he's no good. And Jesus... I don't know, but I, I just have this picture in my mind that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's smiling. And he says, no, 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 no. He's an advocate. He's your advocate in mine, saying, oh, no, 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 no. He may have missed the mark, but look at him. Look at her. What he did was he confessed that by, oh, I missed the mark. A confession is nothing more than agreeing with God. That's what confession means. And then, look, they repented. Father, isn't that beautiful? And don't you even see them the same way no matter what? They repented. They changed their mind. They turned. They passed the test because they confessed. They repented. They moved on. They grew. That's transformation. See, it's about time. Similar to a trust is time as an investment. See, one day we're all going to give an account for how we invested and used our time. You're going to give an account for what you're doing right here, right now. Oh, that's a good thing. <laughs> You're at church. Investments have an inherent quality to them, though, don't they? John, you know a little something about... John was a banker. Now, he still is a banker. He's the only 75-year-old banker I know. But, right? John knows a little something about investments. And investments have an inherent quality to them. And time is like that. Investment quality and time quality both pay huge dividends if they're quality. And even though time isn't money, we've already seen that, because time is way more valuable than money. And that you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. And I'd be, of course, completely remiss here if I didn't tell you 
something that is more important than anything I'm going to say probably from this platform this morning that more important than either time or money is truth. Did you hear that? More important than time or money in your life is truth. And you get truth from a biblical worldview. So get into the word of the God so that the word of God gets into you. Amen. Back to quality investments for a minute. So I checked out these examples of investments because um, because I'm an analytic and I like to think about these kinds of things. And so uh, this is really kind of interesting because poof, 2019 is almost gone. We've had a whole day, de- you know, the decades over it. We're going to be saying 2020. I don't know. It's going to take me a while to kind of grasp that 2020. But so I look back 10 years ago for some t- for some quality investments over the last what 10 years is a decade, right? Okay, so in the last decade, I looked at some investments and I just thought, okay, let's have some fun with this. So $10,000, if you invested $10,000, which is about how much my iPhone cost, I think. But if you bought Apple stock 10 years ago and you invested 10 grand, today that investment is worth $1,092,000. I like it. Now... Maybe you don't like Apple. Ladies, if you had invested $10,000 in Ulta, the, the, the cosmetics company. Now, I wish I'd have done it because if, if I'd have done that, a $10,000 investment in Ulta today is worth $1,445,000, which is exactly the amount of cosmetics that I think my wife has in our bathroom. <laughs> Seriously, I have this little Tupperware thing. It's this big and all my stuff is in it. But all the rest of the drawers and cabinets are, I came from Ulta. I don't know how that works. I'm just saying that's what it is. But here's the whopper. Here's the whopper of a quality investment. The best investment you could have made 10 years ago with $10,000 is Netflix. For our entertainment, for gosh sakes. And if you'd invested $10,000 in Netflix 10 years ago, today is worth $6,097,300. Don't you wish you'd have done that? <laughs> Missed that boat. But because I'm a big thinker, I like to think big. What would happen? This is easy math. What would happen if, you'd, if you were at the like, retirement age and you had some real investment money? Let's say you invested $100,000 in Netflix 10 years ago. It's a pretty simple math equation, isn't it? Because you'd be sitting on over $60 million, which now you know where the trust button came from that I talked about earlier. So if that's you, go ahead and write your check to the church. But certainly you can't argue with those investments from a quality point of view as is measured in economic terms, can you? That's a great money investment. What about, what about time quality? What's that? What is time quality? I had a conversation with an entrepreneurial friend of mine more of an acquaintance than a friend, young guy, started a business a few years ago. It's really taken off. It's starting to gel. Things are going really well. And during the course of this conversation, by the way, this is a young man who's married and has three children and don't look around because he's not in this room. He says to me, Bill, things are going great. Now, I know a little something about what it takes to build a business. Been there, done that in a previous life. So I'm really interested in this conversation that I'm having with this guy because he's going to make mention of quality time. And I so he's all excited and he's telling me about his business and it's growing and things are really starting to go. And he says, this thing is going to take off, man. It's going to be successful. I'm working 80, 100 hours a week and I love every minute of it. So I asked him, how's it going at home? With the wife and kids. He doesn't miss a beat. And he says, let me tell you, I don't have much time for my wife and kids. But the time I do have, I make sure it's quality time. Seriously? See, I don't think so. See, that's an oxymoron. I have very little time, but what I have is quality that's like saying, I was trying to figure out a way to, here, I, this is what I did. Maybe you'll like this. So I got, I got two bills here. 
a hundred. I got a honey. I got a hundred and I got a five. And this quality time thing that he's telling me about is kind of like this. I say, which one do you want? So I give it to Susan. She looks at it and she says, Bill, that hundred is wrinkled. And look at it. I don't know if you can see that. It's torn. It's got a rip in it. It's not even the new style with the watermark thing, you know, that it, it's old, it's wrinkled, it's torn. But the five, I'll take the five. It's of higher quality. Hello. <laughs> Nobody in their right mind would take the five. So where does that quality time argument come from? You see, it's about time and quality time is not left over time. Every day has 24 hours, 1140 minutes, 86,400 seconds in it, and you don't get any of them back. So you've got to invest them wisely according to Scripture, if you have a biblical worldview, because money can't buy you time. You have exactly the same amount of time as everybody else. Now this is a little personal for me, but I submit to you, that second to your and my abiding relationship with the Lord Jesus, that is time spent with Him in the Word, in prayer, the most important investment of your time is with your family. The most important investment of your time is with your family. After the Lord. You see, because while I'm talking to my young entrepreneurial friend, I can't help but think about how he is totally missing this. Totally missing this. You see, I know. Because I've been there. Some of you probably remember the song from 1974 and you don't have to be old like me to remember 1974. I was engaged to be married in 1974. I'm not as old as you think. I was only 18 then. But this song from 1974 by a song writer and singer by the name of Harry Chapin. It's a classic song about time. It's called Cats in the Cradle. And it goes something like this. My child arrived just the other day. He came into the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. He was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball. Now, come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I've got a lot to do, he said. That's okay. And he walked away and he smiled and he said, you know, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. Final verse of this song says, I've long since retired, and my son, he's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you, son, if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle, and the kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's sure been real nice talking to you. The last stanza here says then, As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, He'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. It's about time. How many of you have heard that song? At least you think that that song was about Harry Chapin, the songwriter and singer. 
and his relationship with his own dad. It's not. Because here's the rest of the story. You see, it was Harry Chapin's wife, Sandy, who actually wrote the words to that song after their son Josh was born. And it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because when Josh was seven and Harry Chapin was out on the road in the 70s and he was doing over 200 concerts a year. He's a singer, songwriter. 200 concerts a year. He was never home. And his wife Sandy asked him, when are you going to take some time to be with your son? Harry promised to make some time that summer. He said, at the end of the summer, Sandy, I'll take some time. But the truth is, you see, he never made it. Because that summer, Harry was driving his favorite Volkswagen bug. And he got hit by a truck. And he was killed. So you see, church, it's about time. It's about time. Guys, come up. You see, we have an appointment with time. Time was given to each of us. God gave us time in the beginning. Why? So that we could glorify Him in this life. He gave it to us. He gave it to us as a gift. Why? So that we could have an encounter with Him. It's a gift. You see, this encounter is personal. This appointment that we have to have an encounter with the living God is personal and it comes through Jesus. The appointment is personal. It's about time. Because God was the creator of time in the beginning. And God is the giver and the owner. And we are merely the stewards of it. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this. Behold, now, right now, is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You see, because, guys, I don't know where you're at. I really don't. But short of a conversion experience, your own road to Damascus experience with the Lord Jesus, in an all-in and I mean all-in salvation moment of coming to faith in Him and completely trusting Him. You see, apart from that, time in this life will have just been lived in vain. It's about time, and it's been about time. From the very beginning, it's been about time. And if you're here today, and you haven't received that. Or you think you have, but you're not sure that you have received that free gift of the time that God wants to spend with you and He wants you to spend with Him through salvation. Right now. You know you can do that, right? We do this in church. We, we even call them altar calls. There's no altar call. It's a heart call. Just where you're sitting, right where you're at. Understand that it's about time. And church, understand that time and life are totally tied together because in the beginning, God created. And so no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what's happening in your life right now, it's time. It's about time to surrender, to yield, and to embrace the love of God. It's about time to acknowledge God. It's about time in every area of your life just to acknowledge Him. 
It's time to confess, to repent, and to turn from whatever sin it is that in your life that you're dealing with. If you're missing the mark, just repent, turn, pass the test, be transformed. And right now, right now is the appointed time, the appointed time to leave whatever burden you came in the doors with today. Oh, and there are burdens in this church. Amen? Who doesn't carry a burden? I can barely get through the Harry Chapin lyrics. Yeah, we all carry a burden of some kind. And you can leave it. Jesus said you can leave it right there. You can leave it right at the foot of the cross. You could do that today, right where you sit. It's about time to trust Him to live the abundant life that He came to give you. It's time to get serious about that, church. It's time to accept the truth that your past does not define you. It really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. The truth is is that God sees you right now in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you sit here. Fully righteous and acceptable to Him. That's who you are. You see, your identity isn't even in Christ. Your identity is Christ. It's time to just take our eyes off of ourselves. Because, oh, we're so good at that, aren't we? Take your eyes off yourself today. Start today. It's about time. And fix them on the things above. You see, church, Jesus said, and we can be assured that before we enter into the heavenly realms with Him, you see, He said that you're going to have trouble. There isn't anybody in this room that can attest to that. Amen? Oh, yeah, we're going to have trouble. But He also said that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Merry Christmas. What a gift. Overwhelming. This gift of Jesus. It's overwhelming. You see, because God created time in the beginning and it's a trust, it's a test, and it's an investment and ultimately it's an appointment. Make the choice to be a hearer and a doer. You have a trust of time today. 24 hours. 1140 minutes, 86,400 seconds. So today, just decide that you're going to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus. Just do that today, you see. Acknowledge Him in that way. It's so freeing to do that. It's emotional, too. I'm not even going to apologize for that. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. And then ask yourself this question. If not right now, when? Because it's about time. It's about time. Let's pray. Oh, God, you are so good. And we need you. And we want you, God. And you're there for us. And you have been there for us since the beginning of time, the time that you created for us. And now is the time. So, God, as we sit in this place, and we come and we come to worship 
and we come to fellowship and we come to be with one another. God, we also come just to be with You because You want to be with us. God, sometimes that's hard for us to comprehend. But right now, I pray, God, that we would totally apprehend that. That You are for us. That You love us. That You want to spend time with us. Not only now, God, but for eternity. Your design is to spend time with us in a loving relationship for eternity when all of this will go away. And yet we will be in Your presence, God. Wow! Talk about Merry Christmas. So thank You. Dear God, thank You for who You are and how You do all these things beyond me. And yet, God, we sit here and we receive it. We receive Your love, Your grace. Maybe some of us for the first time today receive salvation. So God, help us to acknowledge You. Spend time with You. Spend time with our family. Time matters. It's about time. 